Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of the Four Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. I'm joined by Ron Luce and Tony Marchese tonight. It's time to crack them and get caught up on your Blackhawks. So what's up, boys? How we doing? Yeah, pretty good. That was a nice little swig of beer there. Little Budweiser. Ron, what are you doing? Um, joining you guys in the drinking festivities. I am back on my Ballast Point uh, Benito Blondale. They're getting a lot of promotion out of me uh-huh. um, lately, but it's 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 a good it's a good drink. It's a good swig. Uh, how are we doing tonight, gentlemen? Good, good. I am actually on a little bit of liquor, a little uh, vodka, water, lime. Ooh, so fancy. That, uh, yeah, that was left over from uh, tailgate. At, from Sox games back in uh, um, September, but you know, no expiration date on vodka. Absolutely not. Just kill it. So, uh, all right, yeah. So uh, this past week was an off week for the Blackhawks, but um, Patrick Kane participated in the All Star game and the skills competition in the game itself. Um, he came in second in the puck control contest. Uh, he his time was twenty eight point six one one seconds, and Johnny Hockey took on the title uh, with a time of twenty seven point oh four five seconds. Um, and then in the game, uh, you know they do the three on three format with the um, Central playing the Pacific uh, in game one, and then the Eastern Conference team squaring off in game two, and then the champions play. So uh, combined between those two games, Kane had two goals and two assists. And in the championship, the Metro ended up defeating the Central um, 10 to 5. So uh, I know, guys, we were together on last Friday night when the skills competition was going on. Um, and we were excited for Kaner. He got that uh, puck control thing all in one shot when he had to feed the puck through those uh, different levels. Um, so we, we were sitting pretty until Johnny Hockey came up. So uh, any observations on that or the whole weekend? I don't remember that happening. I guess they at all. Were kinda, you, you were turned away from the TV that was that it was on. So Ron and I, and, and even then, like you know, the sound wasn't on, so we were just kind of watching it. But yeah. uh, no, I mean, I saw some of the stuff, but I I don't remember it. Kind of foggy. Yeah, so I'm gonna test uh, uh, Johnny Gaudreau winning this stuff, uh, the, this competition, to it just being the Flames' year. They're an absolute wagon. I think it's their year to go to the Stanley Cup final. So the stars are all lining for the Flames. So that's what I'm gonna chalk that one up to. Well, and that team looked like they're having fun. That's the other thing too. Like yeah, they just seem like they're having a boatload of fun in the process of of winning a lot of hockey games and and johnny you you bring up a good point um it just seems like they're kind of year yeah absolutely uh you just kind of get that vibe they get they like when you look at they have like five separate guys that are in double digit goals so um you know that uh that's some balance there and then they also get some depth scoring so uh good for the flames but um the, there is some Blackhawks news that uh, just happened today. Well, yesterday, when you're listening to this, uh, happened Thursday. Um, Henry Yoki Haru was assigned to Rockford. Um, that kind of came as a shock. 
um, to everyone. So the context behind that, um, Mark Lazarus tweeted out today, Jeremy Cowden said that uh, the Hawks want Yuki Hari playing major minutes in all situations um, when he's in Rockford. And he said that um, Yuki Hari still has trouble physically sometimes as a 19-year-old, and they don't want him playing just to survive. They want him to excel. Um, so uh, what do you take away from those comments there? Well, I think for starters, um, I agree with the minutes thing. I mean, we were we were discussing it earlier, and actually, before you found that snippet, I kind of said something along those lines. You know, he's gonna play every situation in Rockford, tons of minutes. I said twenty five. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but you figure he's still gonna consistently play probably twenty two minutes. I would say is pretty expected. Um, you know, I think, in, especially if he's playing special teams, I think that could be closer to 25 minutes on some nights. Um, but, you know, I think it's a real case of, I agree, they need to play him where he's going to excel. He needs the time on ice. I don't, he obviously wasn't getting it playing in really a third pairing kind of role recently. Um and to kind of add on to that, too, I think there's going to be trades in the works. I think they're trying to audition guys, um, you know, for for trade positions and kind of pump up their trade value a little bit um, for Blackhawks fans who may be like, oh, what do you mean they're going to do that? Think Michael Kempney last year. Michael Kempney started playing a ton before the deadline, um, and then he was traded for uh, a third-round pick and then obviously ends up with the Capitals. That was a match made in heaven, and the rest is history. But those are the type of type of things you're going to see now. They're really going to pump Forsling's breaks. They're really going to pump Davidson. They're really going to pump these kind of kind of lower level guys, and maybe a surprising move of like a Duncan Keith type move. Uh, but they're going to let these guys play so they can promote them. Say, hey, these guys look great. We want you to trade for them, and then uh, maybe you know post-deadline, then you see Yokiharu return to the Blackhawks and play bigger minutes. Yeah, you brought up those minutes. Um, I just wanted to point out a couple numbers before Tony gets in here. Um, so he's averaging 19-15 uh, time on ice throughout his uh, stint with the Blackhawks so far this season, but that's decreased as of recently, um, notably in their last uh, two games that he's played. So he played 14-19 against the Rangers Um a couple Thursdays ago, then he was scratched for that uh, barn burner game against Washington. Um, and then he only played 12:55 in that game against uh, the Islanders. So obviously wasn't getting as much power play time. The Hawks had, you know, three or four separate chances. Um, so the minutes have just been decreasing. So th- that's why I just wanted to bring up Tony. What, uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, I agree with the, the, the facts that Ron brought up that this is more, more or less a move to showcase some other defensemen. I don't like the move, though. I don't think that it's a good development move for Yogi Haru at all. In fact, I would, if I was in his shoes and was sent down to Rockford at this point, I'd be questioning how my development's being handled by the organization. You don't bring in a guy like this and, and you know pretty much say that you have full confidence in him at the NHL level all the way into you know, we're in February now almost. And then all of a sudden he's just not qualified. I mean, uh, there was another tweet out there from, uh, I believe it was, uh, Satchel this, uh, this morning that, that proved that he was one of the most effective Blackhawks defensemen from what I've seen is Colleton doesn't really like the way Yoki Haru plays. His minutes have decreased consistently since, since Colleton's taken over. 
Um, he was used in a top top pair defenseman by Quenville early in the season, and you just kind of got to wonder what the plan is here with him. Um, yeah, there's somebody has to be moved, and I, I'm pretty sure that uh, when you look at everything contractually, he's one of those guys that still has um, – you know, moves on his contract where he can go down to Rockford. He's still two-way. So it makes sense from a roster movement standpoint to move Yokiharyu, but you can't imagine that he's too happy in, in this situation to be going back down to, to Rockford at all. I really don't I really don't understand why they're not looking why they haven't made a move yet to clear this up you know you'd like to see them actually have taken this time over the all-star break for Bowman to move one of these guys you gotta wonder if it's actually Forsling that they're actually trying to move because he's the only one that isn't back yet so um, that's kind of where I stand with it I'm not happy about it I like watching Yoki you play I don't think that uh, he's gonna be challenged down in Rockford and I think that his game develops better at the NHL level than going and putting him down um, more I I guess you could say they're kids his own age but even then um, he's already kind of proven that he can stick in the NHL in my opinion so that's that's kind of where I'm at with it it it's just one of those things that kind of sucks yeah so a couple of thoughts on that really quick um you mentioned Gustav Forsling there. Um, he could very well be the one that they are trying to move. He is likely. There has not been an official announcement from the team yet, but he is likely back um, when the Hawks return tonight. Um, he was out, missed a period of time before the break with an upper torso injury, but towards the end of that, he was practicing with the team. So you would have to assume that he is the one coming back, uh, and then they'll just activate him, you know, during the day when uh, um, when they can finally make that roster move. Um, but it, I, I wanted to just touch on a rumor that I, I hadn't seen this, and I was kind of shocked. We, I think uh, it was Tony. Yeah, you had sent it in our group chat earlier today, but tweet from Cheer the Anthem saying that um, he wasn't thrilled when he was sent to World Juniors. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I kind of like I kind of got an opposite vibe on there. I thought it was uh, first of all, I didn't really want him to. I would have rather seen him stay and develop with the Blackhawks. But I get the wanting to, you know, guys wanting to represent their country when they still have that opportunity when they're in that age range. Um, I, I, so I thought it would have been more of a not a slap in the face, but a uh, something that would have upset him if he wasn't allowed to go. If they said no, you're staying and you're going to be playing in these games. But now we're hearing that it may have been the other way around that he wasn't thrilled about being sent there. Um, it, I, I don't know. Did you guys hear anything about that during the time uh, of the decision to send him to World Juniors? No, I was I was along the same lines as you, Johnny. I thought that he wanted to go, um, mm-hmm. but now, especially with the move down to Rockford, it seems like it was more or less just a. a basically, they would have probably sent him down to Rockford then at that point in time, uh, had they had the chance to. And the World Juniors kind of look like a cop out if if that's the case. Yeah, I don't I don't recall hearing anything uh, initially about him not wanting to go. Um, I'm also not entirely sure if I had heard anything about him, you know, wanting to go, I guess it was kind of a mix of both. Like I just, just didn't hear anything at all. So, um, I mean, I'm sure he's not entirely thrilled to be being sent down to Rockford, but, uh, I think right now if he's thinking, Hey, if they're not going to be using me in, you know, more situations, let me go get some time in the AHL under my belt and, you know, hopefully bring her back then and and he comes back up and and things go well so 
Yeah, so this all kind of um, with the clearing space, Yogi, Yogi Haru, obviously trade deadline's coming up. That trade, de- trade deadline is the 28th of February. So um, there are a couple other guys that, and also speaking of that back end, um, both Gustafson and Keith, uh, rumors have been swirling around them a little bit as uh, – you know, we get into this NHL hot stove period, I guess you could call it. Um, recently on Gustafson, per reports, uh, Bowman needs to be wowed to trade the defenseman. Um, so what do we make of this? You know, we we kind of talked about the Gustafson deal a little bit on the last podcast. I think they're really high on him just because of his offensive ability. But I also think that he's the one on this defense that can actually be moved easily. Um I don't know if you'd need to be wowed. I think this is more posturing because they want to get the best deal for him, and they know that he's their most movable asset because offensive defensemen are kind of harder to come by, especially somebody who can play those power play minutes. I think this is more posturing from the Blackhawks where they want somebody to flip almost NHL-ready talent for him. They're probably not going to get it, but it seems a little bit more more like posturing than than uh, than anything else to me. Yeah, I think I think to your point, I mean, it, it's really hard to find a guy. You know, there's a lot of good offensive defensemen in the NHL. I would I would say a good example of that is Duncan Keith, um, who we'll talk more about, you know, coming up here. But, uh, you know, he he's been a very good offensive defenseman his entire career, yet he really never figure out how to quarterback a power play. You know, Gustafson has been very efficient in that role. And there's a lot of teams out there that are playoff ready where they say, wow. You know, if we can get a guy at $1.2 million and he's under contract through next season and he's going to be able to run our power play for us, you know, that's very appealing to a lot of teams. And at this time of the year, you're more likely going to get somebody to be able to overpay. I mean, you know, there's a good chance that hypothetically speaking, uh, a team such as the, oh, let's just talk about a trade partner that they've used already and say the Tampa Bay Lightning. And maybe if they were like, oh, we would really love a guy like Gustafson to come in and and dish one-timers the Stamkos and Kucherov on the power play. Now, granted, they have Hedman in that role, so I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But to that point, I think there's going to be teams out there like that that would like a guy at that cost. You mean Eric Gustafson isn't isn't going to outplay uh, Hedman, Ron? <laughs> oh, as some fans might think he could, I, I don't think he will. Um I definitely think, in all fairness, though, Victor Hedman, I think, is a very underrated defenseman for truly how good he is. How do we get but, Peter Chiarelli down there? To just start shipping guys yeah. to us? Yeah. Yeah, start sh- shipping, like, really, like, prime young forwards or whatever. Uh, I mean, obviously, we take defensemen, but I feel like there's more of a surplus of forwards on these teams that obviously don't have the defensive depth, so they've got to trade from their area of strength. Yeah, Braden Point would look really good in the Blackhawks jersey. Yeah, um, another. So you brought up the Lightning. Another one that was always intriguing to me. I always thought just from the beginning of the year, looking at their team makeup, uh, was the Toronto Maple Leafs. They didn't have, you know, it was basically Morgan Riley on the back end, and then it kind of falls off after there. But they already traded for Jake Muzzin, so they kind of got their uh, top, you know. Um, defensive shutdown type of piece. I mean, I know Gustafson wouldn't have been that, but if you're just going to outscore teams, then that could have been another route that they went um, there. So it'll be interesting to see who the suitors for Eric Gustafson actually are. Um, Another guy on the back end, and and this one's, uh, you know, uh, this is a tricky subject, uh, is Duncan Keith. Um, Ron had pointed out 
on episode 17 that Keith would probably be his most likely, uh, not most likely, but uh, predicted a defenseman to go. Um, he said, Keith, you know, I think we all had kind of different, uh, I think Tony said Forsling, I said Gus. Um, so it, there's Pierre Lebrun, um, a reporter for TSN. They've had uh, him on, you know, they're starting to uh, get into all these talks, um, trade deadline coming up. Um, show called Insider Training trading today he said that he finds it hard to believe Duncan Key switches teams at the deadline adding that he feels the Blackhawks front office will ask Keith ahead of deadline what he wants to do and allow him to decide his future um you know it kind of you know you understand it from like a veteran type of standpoint there and he obviously has to waive a no move clause if he wants if uh he wants to go anywhere um but I I don't know exactly what to make of that I mean I I think it it makes sense because truthfully, I think it's almost respectful to ask Duncan Keith what he wants to do. I think he's kind of earned that right. Um, being at this point in his career, he's a multiple time Norris winning defenseman. He's a surefire hall of famer. He's played over a thousand games with just one franchise. Um, you know, so I think, I think they should at least ask him, Hey, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to be here? And kind of, Watch things burn, which is what it feels like right now at this point in time. Or do you want to, you know, have a chance to win? Do you want to have a chance to go to a, a contending team for a couple seasons before you maybe call it a career? And I think that's entirely fair to him. I think I think it's not a bad thing that they're going to talk to him about that. Uh, but there's a good chance he might just say no. I want to stay in Chicago and kind of ride this thing out. There's a good chance he might say, hey, yeah, if you guys can make something work to send me to a contender, I think that'd be great. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously we have about a month, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of transpires here in the next four weeks or so. Yeah. So this this one's kind of touchy because to me, this isn't as simple as saying, hey, Duncan Keith, you want to go to a different organization that has a chance to compete for a Stanley Cup this year. This, to me, reeks of, again, the front office lying to Blackhawks fans. At this day in time, what is this going to be, February 1st when this drops? The Blackhawks organization has not yet come out and told us what the direction of this club is. They haven't said anything to the effects of, we're going through a rebuild, They haven't said anything to the effect of we're going to ship off parts of the core and try and reclaim anything for them. In fact, at this point in time, they've still used the word playoffs. Uh, Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? So to hear reports come out that they're going to go and talk to Duncan Keith about what his future is with the team, that's surprising. It should be surprising to any fan. And we know it's not surprising because we've watched this team play hockey all year. So I think the the bigger situation around this is if Duncan Keith does say, yes, trade me somewhere else where I can go have a chance to go catch another cup. At that point, do they come out and say, yeah, we've lied to you all year. We're we're in a down year. It's going to be a down year next year. And we're making this move because Keith wants out and I feel like that should open the door for other players as well to say yeah I want out now we're we're talking the Patrick Canes the Jonathan Taves all that or if Duncan Keith says I want to stay through this who's the next guy that they go to and say can we move you because if they're actually looking to move pieces of the core 
that's a lot different than the message that they've been selling. That's a lot different than one goal. Am I wrong? No. Yeah. You, I mean, you talk about, you know, lies or whatever. I, I think it's all just PR. Uh, we talk about how John McDonough is such a uh, PR guru or whatever, and he's all about, you know, protecting the image. So First how does, and foremost, John McDonough's image and then, you know, the Blackhawks. How does John McDonough um, let that we'll get Whether they come out and say it or not, you know, they could honestly still, they can make these moves and still ram it down people's throats uh, just because that's been their PR pitch all year. They're going to stick to it. Um, I could honestly see that happening, but we'll get some clarity in the next couple of weeks um, just based on what the moves are. That's my opinion on it. Here's my next question for you guys is, what do you think a 35-year-old Duncan Keith brings back in a trade? I mean, current contract, he still has through 2023. So what is that, five seasons from now? What are you getting back for Duncan Keith through age 39, 40? I mean... I think if we're being entirely honest, I think the Muzzin trade has set the market. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to get Muzzin return um, because that Muzzin return is pretty good. You got a young forward in Grunstrom. You got a promising defenseman in um, in Jersey. And then obviously a first round pick, even though you know it's going to be a late first. Um, and that's because Muzzin only has one more season after this one. Uh, where he's under contract. As for a Duncan Keith, I think you could realistically, if it's a very good team, get a late first. Um, but then maybe instead of a higher level prospect, you're getting more of a mid tier guy, or you're getting a higher level prospect and maybe a mid mid prospect instead of a guy who's kind of borderline NHL ready. Because Grunstrom, I'd argue, probably makes the Kings right now from that Muzzin trade. Whereas like maybe in a, in a Keith trade, you're getting a guy who's kind of a, maybe think, uh, from, I'm going to go back to the good old days of, of AHL hockey. Uh, think a guy like, um, like a Jason Krog who could really never crack the NHL, but was a consistent 70 point guy in the AHL. Maybe that's the kind of return you would get for a Duncan Keith, and I think a lot of that is only because of term. I think if it were, this was only two more years of Duncan Keith at this number, he's getting Muzzin return. No doubt in my mind. So is that even a smart move to make at this point in time? I mean, let's let's talk more about is that the move that they need to make? Yeah, is it realistic that we could be talking about a Duncan Keith trade on a Four Feathers podcast in the next few weeks? I th- I think that's realistic. But is that the right move? And should Stan Bowman be trying to make that move with Duncan Keith? Because, I mean, are you guys content with a return like that? Or do you feel like Duncan Keith's value is higher than getting that back? From what Ron had just laid out, I mean, I I don't think so. Um, But we're obviously going to be as greedy as we can here um, if we're going to try and even if it's a retool, we want a jumpstart piece. We don't want a fringe piece. Uh, that would be my thinking on the issue. But it, are we going to get that? Um, you know, I doubt it. So I would probably predict that's kind of why in the last show I said it's Gustafson would be the more, you know, he's a more sexy option um, for a return that they'd like. So that, that was why uh, my prediction fell there instead of Keith. Well, and don't you think that Gustafson brings back more than Keith at this point in time? I mean... No disrespect to Keith, but the contract and the age and then the offensive ability of Gustafson versus Duncan Keith. And let's be let's be honest, his numbers last year offensively, Duncan Keith, were not good. 
So teams are not going to pay for Duncan Keith's past, and especially with the contract. I mean, we've seen guys who have performed higher at higher levels with more production, and I'm not knocking Duncan Keith's minutes and his defensive abilities, but we've seen guys with more production numbers on lower deals, and we've had to attach pieces to get rid of them. This one kind of scares me. I think to that point, I, I think the only reason that I would argue Duncan Keith might be more of a sexier option is because a team trading for Duncan Keith right now is a playoff team, plain and simple. And a lot of times these playoff teams are looking for a minute-eating, good defensive defenseman. I don't think they're concerned about Keith's offense right now because well, you know all, he can go in there. Ron, they're also looking for one-year rentals, play. though. Well, sure, 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 sure. And that's why I think you're not going to get a muzzin return. But I I still think that Duncan Keith is going to be able to give a team what they're looking for at a very reasonable cap hit. I mean, 5-5, five, five, even for Duncan Keith now, 5-5 five, five is still very good. And you never know. I mean, look at a guy like Ray Bork. And I, I, I say that because obviously I – you know, he's been on podcasts on other networks and whatnot lately. You should have to drink every time we bring up Ray Bork. <laughs> but I mean, this is a guy that he even admitted he thought he was done. He goes to Colorado and he gets the second wind. You know, sometimes even though the guy's 35, I mean, he's one of the most freakish athletes on the face of the planet, Duncan Keith. You know, he might go to another team that's winning and this, that, and the other. He's not having to play as big a minutes. All of a sudden, maybe, obviously, he's never going to be Duncan Keith of old. I don't think he's going to win another Norris at age 40. But he could be a very serviceable defenseman through the end of that contract for somebody, and it could pan out to be worth it for that team. Um, again, a lot of what-ifs and, of course, different scenarios that need to happen. But uh, I agree if you're talking purely on contract. Um, I would say either Gus or Forsling is the sexier option. But because they have shown less, I think that could compromise them maybe giving you the greatest return. So I think there's a lot of question marks to each guy right now that is kind of, okay, who's truly going to give you the best return? Because each guy has a ding against them for different reasons that uh, may hold you back from getting the top return for Joe Schmo versus another guy. A lot to consider here um, on the Blackhawks blue line for the trade uh, deadline looming. So we will uh, keep you guys updated on our Twitter page, on our Instagram, and then obviously on these episodes um, as we do them weekly going through February here. Um, Another guy we need to talk about, a lot of question marks surrounding him, is Artemi Panarin. Um, This uh, situation here, so Columbus has tried to sign him to a long-term extension. They did the beginning of the season. And then when they um, had brought it up uh, in the middle of the season, uh, and his agent said that he won't talk about a new contract until after the season. And there were some comments sprinkled in that um, he was not thrilled about spending, you know, the next whatever, seven, eight years of his career in Columbus. Um, he's an unrestricted free mm-hmm. agent at the end of the season. So now there's obviously, uh, you know, Pierre Lebrun, same uh, as he was talking about Duncan Keith, talking about Artemi Panarin on that insider trading show. Um, he had said that, um, you know, there, there's definitely interest for uh, Panarin. Um, so what, what this has to do in relation with the Blackhawks, um, I mean, obviously we're not going out and getting him at that trade deadline. That's That would be dumb. But when he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason, you know the Hawks are at least going to check in. Um, 
They're going to check in with this agent. They want to see what he's looking for. Um, they want to see if there's still that kind of hometown connection. Uh, not hometown, but, you know, where he, where he had such great chemistry with Kane. So his first NHL stop, obviously, with the Blackhawks. So well, what do we think happens with Panarin here, both trade deadline and then in free agency? Well, I... Uh... I don't think it's really smart to bring him back on the trade deadline unless you've got word from his agent that he really wants to re-sign here. Right, I think if, they shouldn't even they shouldn't even think about it. At the yeah, trade if, they, if if they think about doing that, see, I feel like if Columbus were smart, they'd probably deal him somewhere else to another contender and get the best return that they possibly can. That's not going to be to the Blackhawks at all. Um, I wouldn't really want to give anything up for. A uh, few months of Panarin to come back and not make the playoffs. I don't think that that's smart. Um, yeah, no, I think that I, I was kind of more hinting at, um, you know, in, in relation to the Blackhawks in free agency. Then I, I totally agree with you. That would be, it'd be, they'd be extremely foolish. They should not even entertain that thought. Yeah, the the only exception to that, Johnny, for me would be to have exclusive rights to negotiate with him. Uh, through the end of the year, which I mean that you can't discount that, but at what price, right? If we're giving up, if we're giving up an AHL or a you know like a fifth round pick or something for Panarin, and and Columbus knows they have no chance and just want to get something out of it, and the Hawks want to have him uh, and the exclusive rights to negotiate with with him and his agent, and you know this would all have to be talked out before the trade. Obviously, uh, I could see that being a plausible scenario. Uh, but if they're giving up any sort of talent in return for that, I don't think that that happens because they know that they're going to check in with him during the off season. I think that that's inevitable. I think that the the Hawks are going to be serious players in this, and, and the rumors are going to swirl because we all know that Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin love playing with each other. Um, Kane even made some comments during the All-Star uh, break about it. Um, that he would love to play with Panarin again. I'm pretty sure Panarin has also gone on record a few times saying that he'd love to play with Kane again. Um, we've seen the bromance alive and well whenever Columbus plays Chicago. Uh, those two are always talking to each other. And you know what? Panarin had a lot of success with Patrick Kane. Um, did you guys read uh, what Chief put out the other day about the reasoning behind the Artemi Panarin trade. Did you guys see that at all? No, Philson. No? Um, let me see if I can do a little bit of digging too. But Chief uh, put something out the other day that uh, the reason that Artemi Panarin was traded was not because of Stan Bowman, and it was actually because John McDonough ordered the trade to happen. And that... Uh, the reasoning behind that was that John McDonough was unhappy with the way that Artemi Panarin played during the playoffs, and that rubs me completely the wrong way. Let me see if I yeah, can, let me see if I can dig this up for you guys because this is this be something a little bit interesting to talk about here. Yeah, I that, don't. I didn't see that, and I'm you know I'm shocked by that. Uh, there was plenty of guys you could point out that didn't play well during those playoffs shit the whole forward group uh in the nashville series i mean come on yeah no not good i mean chief was chief kind of ranted about this i'm pretty sure this came out yesterday but uh i don't know what to think about this because it makes too much sense to me 
that that this was the reasoning behind it. And, and even during the time, you know, I was unhappy with the way that uh, Artemi Panarin kind of disappeared a little bit in the playoffs, but I didn't think it was the reason to trade him. Um, you guys should take a little gander at that and uh, and let me know what you think. But um, I would be really, really happy to see Artemi Panarin back in Chicago. I know that there's a, there's a few people out there in, in Hawks Twitter that – are totally against this idea. Uh, from from my standpoint, um, if you do clear up some cap space, if you talk about guys like Corey Crawford maybe not being on the team next year, um, they already have money in the bank, um, giving some of these younger guys some chances. Potentially if you see Keith move, like we've talked about a little bit, there's going to be plenty of money, I think, here on this team to pay a guy like Panarin. I don't think Panarin's taking a discount to come play with us, but having our Tommy Panarin locked up on maybe like a four or five year deal isn't going to be the worst thing. We've seen the scoring kind of disappear from this team over the past few years outside of the, that top heaviness that we have. It wouldn't be bad to add another top heavy guy. Um, if you even considering moving sod and replacing him back with Panarin, I, I don't think that bringing Panarin back is going to hurt this team the way some people suggest that it may. Uh, and, you know, I think the goal here needs to honestly be capturing one more cup with, with Taves and Kane on this roster. If you're not going to move these guys, you have to build around them. And letting them just go the rest of their contract here with the Hawks without another playoff, deep playoff run, if not cup run, I think is a terrible waste if we're not going to move them. And this is where I think we come back to the fact that the organization needs to be honest about what their plans are. Are you actually going to try and build around this or are we going to sit here and just kind of piecemeal the piecemeal together rosters that kind of compete kind of don't and then see where we're at at the trade deadline and then have these kind of rumors about are we going to move a, a, a piece of the core you know i think this off season is going to be where we need to make that decision which direction are we going yeah it, uh it intrigues me i i'm kind of you know, torn. I love the, you know, the connection, the Kane Panarin connection, but it also at the same time, I look, would this be the smartest thing uh, to do? And I got to say no, um, just from a personnel standpoint of what they need. Um, you know, I know we have defensemen in the pipeline on the way, but um, they, if they can, I feel like that money could be spent better if they are really looking to be better immediately. Um, I know Panarin helps with scoring, but you know we we allow the most shots uh, per game and shot attempts by far. Um, so something needs to come in there. You know, you see like guys like we thought, oh Yoki Haru. I mean, this the, he's still not there. Look, he's in Rockford now. Um, so the development isn't going to be right away with these guys. So if they are looking to actually push forward um, and try and you know uh, recapture some of that magic around Kane and Taze while they're still in some of their prime years. Um, I'd say, you know, a free agent defenseman is probably a uh, better use of that money. So th- that's just my opinion. This next month, I think, is going to have a lot of, you know, determinant. Whether, Tony, like you had said, you know, you want them to be honest. Uh, they're gonna, I think it's like they're not going to have a choice. They're just going to have to be. Um, and the moves are going to tell um, what they're going to do. So they might not come out and say it, like I would mentioned previously. But I feel like we'll get a little bit of a sense of direction here um, and it's it's kind of scary. It's kind of because kind I was of gonna the say, right now. It is. I mean, we're really I, we're all kind of just sitting here with like this 
I'm literally sitting oh, on the edge of my seat right now. Yeah, shit, what's going to happen next? Because it, we're at a point in this movie, <laughs> you know, where it's like, where are we going? Yeah. And we know it's going to come. And one of the directions might be that we're just sitting here still waiting. And I think that would be the worst, I think, for all of us, as if nothing really happens and we're all just kind of left to wonder what the next chapter is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I'd be I, I'd be sad to see a piece of the court moved, as everybody would, but at least it would kind of cement the direction uh, of the club. And if we go into the off season and we add pieces that are actually going to make us compete for the Stanley Cup next year, it would also be refreshing to see that we have a direction that, yes, we are all in on this and we want to go move forward. But what resources are going to be available to do so? I think that's the other piece of the equation. Um, I'd really hate to be sitting in Stan Bowman's shoes right now. It would kind of suck. Yeah, that scares me. It really does. Um, and it's nerve-wracking, um, but only time's going to tell. And uh, there is a finite di- deadline on it, at least for moving things this uh, during this season, and that is the end of this month, uh, February 28th. We will see what happens between now and then. Let's get into a little bit of a prospect report. I'm going to check in. Um, Dylan Sakura, um 12 goals, 14 assists through 35 games with the Ice Hogs. Um, Darren Radish, 7 goals and 15 assists through 46 games. Um, That's probably a defenseman that you'll most likely not see in the future in the NHL. But um, he was, he kind of showed a little promise towards the beginning of the year. So that's always on the sheet. Dylan Radish. And Darren Radish. Yeah, it's it's just one of those. It's, it's one of those guys that you just kind of look at and you're like, yeah, well, he's going to be sitting in the AHL, career AHLer. Um, but promising one, Adam Boquist. We can uh, move he him had, for He added, ah, Jesus, shut up with that. Um, he added uh, 11 goals and 24 assists uh, through 34 games. He had three assists uh, throughout this week from the last time we updated. Um, let's see, who else is doing well? Um, Kenzie Entwistle had himself a nice week. He's got four goals, eight assists. Uh, through 10 games since moving to uh, Gulf Storm. Um, Nicholas Bodine, assist machine, seven goals, 37 assists through 36 games in the QMJHL. Um, And then our NCAA boys, Ian Mitchell, um, silent this week, three goals, 12 assists uh, through 21 games. But Evan Barrett just continues to tear it up. He had a goal assist this week, um, 15 goals, 20 assists through 23 games uh, for Penn State this year. So I'm excited about Evan Barrett. Um, whenever I read this, I always love checking in on him. And I love following the Penn State uh, hockey account on Twitter. They, every highlight they post, it seems like every other one, Evan Barrett's either involved in some way, whether it's some ridiculous shorthanded goal like we've seen or he's setting somebody up beautifully. Um, so it's fun to get those updates and tweet them out. Okay, now we're moving into a little bit of a uh, wider section of the show here. Um, God, all right. So on, in the, when we were talking about the skills competition, the all-star game, okay. So Kendall Coyne, Olympic gold medalist, Team USA, um, she participated in the fastest skater event, and she tore it up. Um, she was just flying around the ice. Um, but anyway, so after that, um, 
NBC brought her on this past Wednesday to be a guest analyst on Wednesday Night Hockey between the uh, Lightning and the Penguins. That was the Wednesday night game. So Pierre and you, so the setup for this, just a little context for listeners that may not have uh, seen this. She, you know, they have Pierre between the glass and then Eddie and uh, uh, Doc. It wasn't Doc, but, you know, that that's the usual setup for uh, NBC national broadcast. So they for the first period, they have her between the bench with Pierre. And then for the second and third, they were going to bring her up to the booth. So before the game, uh, Pierre just comes out with the most cringeworthy, just terrible comment that you can possibly think of for this. Now, I, I'm going to roll the clip so everybody can actually hear it. It's been exciting, it's overwhelming, and I'm so excited to join you here. So Tampa's going to be on your left, Pittsburgh's going to be on your right. What are you expecting out of this game? We're paying you to be an analyst, not to be a fan tonight. Tense down there, Kendall, huh? It's real intense. I need a mouth guard. <laughs> this is like Canada-U.S. in the gold medal game. Yeah, Come except, on. except I have a cage on for that one. I'll be your cage tonight. How's that? God, Pierre, what are you doing? What? What? What this... in the hell are you doing? Yeah, Hawk Harrelson. What in the hell are you doing? It it is just like this. So this this just blew up. Then after this clip came out, um, obviously people screen grabbed the video, um, and, and there was just like outrage of, over it, um, rightfully so. Like who who what what, what is, I saw what what's uh, what's he gonna say next? Uh, this is called a puck. This is a stick. You know, like it, like are you really gonna baby her like that much and dumb it down? Like it. Oh God. So it, I I will give uh, you know. We got, she came out with a press release, so we will give her a side of it. I'll kind of summarize it here. You know, Kendall Coyne comes out and says, I've known Pierre for years. Um, and I know your section as a hockey player, as a woman and a friend. That's why I didn't think twice about it when it happened. Um, you know, after I received messages, I went back and looked at it and said, sure, if I was watching at home, I definitely would have been offended. Um, but she also said that I know how excited Pierre was for me to be a part of that moment. Um and she says, I wish it came out differently, but I know Pierre doesn't question my hockey knowledge. So I got to ask you, do you guys actually like Pierre? Does anyone? I mean, I feel like I know the answer, but I, I got to air it out here now that we're talking about it. No. Anyone? anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Uh, I mean, here's the thing about him is I tolerate it because he's just been around for so long that, you know, going down to Pierre is just a thing at this point in time. I just love him in NHL 19 because he offers the worst insights ever and they still love you Johnny Chicago you're a great captain Jonathan Taves hey Pierre they still love you Jonathan that's good <laughs> he, I mean he creates content on the internet right like it that he does yes it's bad but at some point we all just need to take a step back and realize Sometimes we all need something to laugh about. I'm not excusing, you know, what he did here. But in other situations, he has created some great internet memes and internet gold. And for that reason, I kind of tolerate it because it's always nice to just have something to laugh about on Monday morning when you get back to work. But from, like, an analysis standpoint, no. No, nobody really likes Pierre. No. I'd say replace him with uh, Kendall Coyne. That, that's not going to happen. Obviously, Pierre's cemented in that. And like you said, you just got to kind of like deal with it. And he does, you know, give us laughs. I know this one was, you know, it's it was bad. And Yeah, there's a difference about, between cringeworthy yeah. versus, you know, something that we can all laugh about. So, I mean, yeah, 
I don't. So. I, I didn't like that, but in other situations, I just think that it's something that kind of adds. I don't know, a little bit of a different dynamic to the NHL. And, uh, you know, actually, there's a few guys on that NBC broadcast that uh, that I could do without. But um, I think Pierre is one of the main ones that, that brings something else to discuss outside of hockey um, when you want to actually go back and, like, dissect the broadcast and everything. Because he just... I, I, there, there's YouTube video upon YouTube video of of Pierre highlights that you could go back and just watch and be like, oh my god. Yeah, the, the specifically Blackhawks related one earlier this year, you had mentioned it a couple times, but the oh they still love you, Johnny. It's like, oh, uh, did we ever not like what like <laughs> when he was well, talking to Taves the, after the uh, funny uh, part yeah. was was that he just kind of came in with that and he's like, they still love you, Johnny, and then he puts the microphone yeah in front right of in Taves' face. <laughs> And Johnny looks at the microphone. He's like, "There wasn't a question here. They're like, what? What's he supposed to say?" And he just, uh, Pierre's probably like the worst person that you can give a microphone to, and say, "Go interview players like during the game." He could be one of the worst sideline guys ever. He might be better suited for like a color analyst position. But they have him down there on the ice in between the benches during every game. And it just it, – it's so – it's funny to see. He's like – especially when he's doing like the, the in between the benches and they go down. And he's like, you know, all oh, the players are chirping at each other. It's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. These guys are playing a hockey game against each other and they they hate each other. Of course there's going to be chirping between the benches. But that's like the only take he'll give and then they go back up to the booth. Um, yeah, when, when he's not rattling off where the, each of their dads played junior hockey. Yeah, right. He, I mean, <laughs> there's just he just gives you so much to just shake your head at. And I think it just adds that little bit of comedic relief that you need during a hockey game to take your, take the edge off just a little bit. Um, you know, especially during like a playoff game where you're on edge and then you go down to Pierre and you're just, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that it, it's not intentional, but it's kind of like that guy that you just kind of laugh at and it makes you kind of just forget about how serious things are sometimes. So uh, for that reason, um, I can't really imagine anybody else in that role. Yeah, and just – Quickly worth mentioning, I think, um, obviously, Chicago ties with Kendall Coyne, her being from the Payless, uh, Payless Heights area. Um, she crushed it. She did a great job. Um, I think mm-hmm. I, I would I would not be at all upset about her uh, doing more appearances like that on NBC. I think it's a kind of a breath of fresh air from the, the traditional usual people. Um, but to that point, I think, yeah, Pierre just Pierre's going to Pierre. And when he does it, to your point, it creates funny shit that we can laugh about and um this yeah this didn't look good originally i remember i remember seeing it the night of and um kudos kudos to kendall i mean obviously she knows pierre well and uh she wasn't offended by it but um you know big kudos to her to release a statement and just say hey look i get it looked bad but you know i know the guy and shit happens and um you know, she took it like a champ, but she crushed it, and uh, I just I think it's worth giving her the the props she deserves because she did a great job on the on the broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That was a fun one to watch. You know, that game I uh, got you know was 
I think it was three nothing Pittsburgh by the end of the first period where that might be a night where I'm kind of flipping around uh, watching college basketball or something else if it's not the Hawks that are on that game. Um, but, you know, I, I stayed tuned because I wanted to, you know, hear what she had to say. And it was just, you know, cool to hear her insights because obviously, you know, it's different when someone uh, – Someone who's still in that situation, you know, recently, you know, she still plays, um, you know, she's top talent on that USA team, huge part of that gold medal team. So um, it's great to get the insight there uh, from someone who's actually actively a part of the game. Thank you to Kendall Coyne for, uh, you know, breaking some barriers there, and hopefully she's on a lot more. Um, There was another news update today. Um, We're touching all the bases here. Um, former Blackhawk, granted it was only for half a season, but Antoine Vermette, uh, part of the 2015 Stanley Cup team, announced his retirement from hockey today. Um, and guys, he was an integral part of that 2015 Stanley Cup run. So just some stats on him. During that uh, playoff, he had four goals, three assists, and was 58.7% on faceoffs in the 2015 playoffs uh he had three separate game winning goals a double ot game winner um in the western conference final against anaheim game four and then game winning goals in uh game one and five of the stanley cup final versus tampa so what was what was your favorite uh vermet memory i think it's really safe to say that that double ot game winner against anaheim is is going to be up there forever i think the level of excitement he had skating around the back of the net after he scored and uh, obviously, you know, that series in general was, I just remember, just a bitch of a series, you know. Numerous overtime games, you know, constantly, uh, you know, the Ducks were at their peak with guys yeah, like Shaw Kessler. Goal. Yeah, exactly. The, the headbutt it's goal, wild. what ended up finally becoming Kruger winning it and, you know, triple overtime. I mean, that was just, that series embodied, you know, true playoff hockey. It was an absolute battle. And, um, you know, that double OT winner in game four against Anaheim is, is definitely going to stand out to me. He I agreed. He was a huge part of that cup run. I don't think they win it without him. Uh, he really balanced that center group out really nicely. He was a great fill in on that third line, which was kind of their big question mark the whole season that year. Uh, they had Kruger cemented on the four line. They had Brad Richards playing pretty well up there on that two line. Uh, and then obviously Johnny being on the one line. So he gave them really nice depth, really nice, um, you know, face-off ability outside of the the normal guys, and um, provided big goals when he needed to. So, uh, congratulations to him on a great career, uh, Tony. What was your favorite moment? Well, Ron, I mean, a little bit of goosebumps there when you go back and talk about that 2015 run. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like out of all the Cup runs outside of the Detroit series, where we battled back, the Western Conference Finals against the Ducks was probably the best hockey I've ever watched in my entire fucking life. Most um, intense, for sure. Most intense, the most back and forth. Yeah. Um, those overtime battles are just... I mean, you could you could probably flip that series on, game one right now, and be on the edge of your seat all the way through the end and stay up for it. Um, and I, I, I agree, we don't get through that series without Vermette. We don't go win that cup without Vermette. Uh, I I have to say my favorite moment was the moment that I found out that we acquired him because Ron, you brought up the fact that you know we needed that extra center depth, 
and during the Hawks period of dominance, there was always that need for more uh, another center. And acquiring Vermette was like that like that solid moment of yes, we finally have four guys that we can roll. And I think that that gave Joel Quinville the ability to just absolutely put together four monster lines. And we haven't seen that since 2015. We probably won't see it again for quite a while. May never see it again in our lifetime. So just that pure bliss of knowing that they had four awesome centers that could win faceoffs, all are, are, all are good at the dot, all have different great offensive ability. Um, you know, just his entire time here was filled with great memories for all Hawks fans because there wasn't there wasn't a bad period during that time. So um, I know he spent most of his career in in Phoenix, uh, but I'll always remember Vermette as as one of the key pieces to that that 2015 Cup run, and it being the the last Cup run that we got to see, um, it'll stay fresh in my mind for quite a while. I mean, congratulations to to Vermi and uh, wish him well in retirement, but. Um, you know, uh, forever a Blackhawk, man. Yeah, absolutely. His only Stanley Cup came with the Hawks, so uh, glad he was able to get a ring there. So I actually have a story. I know you guys had said that uh, I think that was the most dramatic, that double overtime game winner in the Western Conference final against the Ducks. But I actually have a story that makes the game one uh, of the Stanley Cup final game winner my favorite Vermont memory. So that night was the night of my oldest cousin's wedding. So we're at the wedding and, you know, he's a big Hawks fan too, but you know, it's, we can't be, you know, stuck to the TV during a wedding reception. So anyway, we were having the dinner uh, for the reception um, during the first period and into the early stages of the second. So then that finally um, ends, they do their first dances and all that. And it's kind of, you know, more free for all dance floor opens up. So everybody's kind of free to roam around and do what they want. So I immediately pull out my phone. I was like, I am watching this game. I don't care. So I, I'm sitting at the table watching on my phone. I've got my dad, three of my other cousins and someone from um, my uh, cousin's wife's side of the family. They're all crowded around me. We're watching on my little, you know, iPhone like six, uh, you know, you guys are all committed to the Indian. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I remember that because it was, you know, we watched that second period. We're on the edge of our seats there. And then when it gets into that third period, we're all like huddled around. As soon as, you know, Tavo flips the puck over to the slot for Vermont, he comes in, shoots, snipes top shelf on Bishop. And that ended up being the game winning goal. There's still like four or 30 left in the game. But you just saw this whole uproar. And like we were trying to like not cause a scene. We didn't want to make it seem like we weren't like interested in what was going on, like the reception. Um, but we couldn't help it. We all just outburst. Oh yeah. The whole wedding hall like turns around and like looks at us, even though the music's pumping, like we were like that loud, like when we were cheering. So <laughs> that was just the memory that's tied to, uh, Antoine Vermette, uh, for me, just because of the situation that I was in, um, on that night. So, um, no, that was, uh, the, I would say that would be my favorite, uh, Antoine Vermette memory. So again, Vermi, congratulations on a great career. And, uh, you're always a black Hawk to us. Absolutely. Okay. So we are about to wrap up here. We are, we've got two segments left, but 
we're doing a new one, first time ever, the Four Feathers Mailbag. Um, on Twitter earlier today, we had put out um, taking questions about anything, hockey, Blackhawks, um, you know, booze, whatever. So we, we got three questions here that we're going to answer. Um, we'll start with the first one, um, Blackhawks heavy. Um, we, we won't go too, too long on these. Uh, I'm sure we could do a full uh episode on just this first question here but uh, we'll we'll get we'll get through them here so um we don't <laughs> let this thing drag on all that long so from matt mccailey on twitter first question as fans do you guys want to tank for hughes or continue to push for a wild card spot um we'll open it up and let's try and uh, keep our responses about a minute each here because um it, <laughs> we like i said we could probably go all night on this let's go ron first I'm going to start it off by quickly saying that uh, I would rather have the former than the latter. And the only reason I say that is because <clears throat> right now it does the team no favors to push for a wild card spot and fall short of the playoffs. Drafting in the middle of the first round has been what they've been doing for you know 10 years now. And now you're seeing the lack of talent in the pipeline. So I would overall say right now the best thing is probably just to tank. And even if it isn't Hughes that you're getting, if it's um, Capo Caco or one of these other top kids at the beginning of the draft that are going to be elite NHL prospects, um, it, it's more worth it in the long run to go for one of those guys to help build around for the future rather than pushing for a wild card spot, missing and just screwing the pooch for the future. So I'll keep it nice and short. Coming in on this one, I kind of have to agree with Ron that um, I want to see more premier talent coming through Chicago. And one of the ways that you do that is you draft high. You look at Jonathan Taves, you look at Patrick Kane, and those are the product of really, really bad hockey teams. Um, there's no other way to get that kind of talent on your team outside of trading away people who are talented, which kind of evened itself out in the end, or spending big money in free agency. And grabbing guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves on ELCs is what puts together championship teams. Um, before you had to pay all these guys big money, and remember some of these names that we had surrounding them. And I think for the long-term health of this organization – drafting high for two years in a row is what they need and this is an especially talented draft class coming up here with uh, the two names that ron mentioned i think as a fan at this point in the year i'm kind of crapped out on watching bad mediocre hockey and so i'm kind of along the lines of let's draft high however there's always going to be that part of me that loves playoff hockey and playoff hockey is always at its best when the Blackhawks are in it, especially if you're a Blackhawks fan. Um, I'm torn on this one. I have to agree with Ron, but if you ask me if I want the Hawks to be terrible or make the playoffs, I'm always a hundred percent of the time going to say, I want the Hawks to make the playoffs. I want them to make a deep run because when you get to the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. The realist in me this year though, says it's probably smarter to do, uh, the the tank for Hughes, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cheer against the Blackhawks in that regard. Johnny. Yep. So you guys pretty much hit it 
uh, nail on the head there, so I don't need to expand too much. Um, I kind of want to take points from both of those. Um, realistically, the situation that we're in, we're not a playoff team, obviously. that uh, If you don't know that, then you're buying into what the organization is trying to push with their belief in one goal and all that. It's just not happening this year. So realistically, yeah, the draft high would be way better for the long-term health of the organization. That being said, I also fully subscribe to the Barstool Chief doctrine. Um, he is anti-tanking, so I don't want the Blackhawks going out there intentionally trying to lose games. Um, I think that's terrible for team morale. Um, you got young guys on the team, um, like a Henry Yokiharu. I know he's in Rockford now, but um, when what other guys that are that are around uh you know uh uh dominic cahoon um you know uh, it, what what kind of damage could this do uh going forward for some of these guys so um i don't want them to intentionally try to lose games but i think it's kind of inevitable with just the makeup of the team and especially if there's going to be some trades made and uh the returns that we get aren't nhl ready aren't going to step into the lineup right away it's more realistic the uh tank for hughes route so if you put a gun to my head and it'd make me choose i would say tank but then again, like Tony had said, I'm not going to root against the Blackhawks. So um, that's where I stand on the issue. All right, we're on to question number two. So now we're getting into a little bit of a lighter topic. Um, Patrick Kamiski uh, on Twitter, he's a big big proponent of Crack'em. Um, hey, let's crack so, one. I'll crack yeah. one for Patrick right here. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Patrick asks, what's everyone's worst beer? And he comments that his is Rolling Rock. So uh, we'll start same same order, Ron. Go ahead and kick it off. I think, ugh, I think Keystone is like the nastiest thing on the face of this earth. Um, Rolling Rock is a good choice, though. That's that's a pretty terrible beer as well. Um, I would probably put Ice House as well in that conversation. So I kind of have a three-way tie at the top, and, and those are my three. Um, Keystone, Rolling Rock, Ice House, all absolute dog shit beers. Uh, I'm going to have to go with an Anheuser-Busch product and say Bud Light. Um, I think Bud Light's just a weak choice of beer. If you're drinking anything with the name Bud in it, you got to go with Bud Heavy. Um, it's just a fuller, more well-rounded tasting beer. Um, Bud Light just tastes like piss water to me. I can't drink it, um, at all. I mean, I, I will if it's there and the only option, but I'd probably seek something out else out besides Bud Light. I know there's a lot of people who love Bud Light, but just drink a Budweiser. I think a lot of people who drink Bud Light have never tried the, the actual real Budweiser. So, um, I, I would have to say Bud Light's probably the worst beer that's out there um grow up and drink a budweiser yeah very fitting coming from you tony so um i'm gonna have to go with now this is uh one that i've only had maybe two or three times and it was back in college um and it's actually i did a google search on it before um and is actually out of production now so it's a cost Costco wholesale beer and it was called Kirkland light. They sold 48 packs of them and some guys that lived in my house got them and it literally <laughs> tasted like a car. It tasted like a cardboard box. It that was absolutely the worst. Nasty. Um, yeah. So the, and yeah, like I said, they, I just pulled up an article. It was from, uh, from back in December that said that it, it's no longer in production. So, uh, thank you for discontinuing that Costco cause it was absolutely disgusting. Um, but, I, I do have to comment on, so we got a reply on that. Someone said, um, handles 232, um, we're going to have some beef here, because he says, 
He says, any IPA, and then with the two, like, laughing emojis. So he says, nah, I got to be Bush or Natty. I will not stand for Bush slander. Um, if, if you listen to ones before, I am, uh, Bush Light's my go-to. So don't be talking crap about Bush Light in our timeline, all right? Um, but, yeah. That, More IPAs <laughs> for that matter. I mean, if if you can't he, handle the that IPA, was, then. That was, the, that was the joke, I think. He was, like, joking, and then he says, nah, I got to be Bush or Natty. So, um, that. I said to point that out since uh, my favorite got tossed in there. Um, so on the subject of drinking, our third uh, question comes from Sons of Honarchy podcast. I believe it's Steve that was running that Twitter over there. Um, nice guy. We all met him uh, last Friday when we were at that uh, Sox Fest after party. So he says, who's the last one standing at the end of an all night bender um, between us three? Um, let's keep the same order on, kick it off. So we were talking a little bit about this before we, we jumped on to record tonight, and uh, we we're going through the, the process of elimination. So I'd like to quickly run through that. Um, Ty, we are sorry you were in last place, good sir, and that is because of your um, narcolepsy. He wasn't um, even mentioned in the question, so, I mean. That's true. That is true. I think it is fair to say that Ty would definitely come in last. We love you, Ty, though. Have a shot of Lord for us. Yep. Um, I would probably be third. Uh, I just I think from the sheer fact that I would go hard too fast and crap out too too quickly. Um, I think I think based on my judgment and and I think I, I said it earlier and you guys were kind of slightly in agreement uh, because it does depend on what you're drinking. So if we're going based on go tos here, you know a, a good old Bush Light versus a nice heavy diesel Budweiser. You know, the longer you can go on Budweiser's, the more of a bender, in my opinion, you're going on. So I think because Tony's used to drinking the heavier beer and can go as long, um, I think he would end up outlasting, especially if he's drinking Bushlight. If all of all of us are drinking Bushlight, there's there's a decent chance that Tony is just running marathons around us by the end of the night. But I could be wrong. I think it definitely comes down to you two, though. Uh, so I will leave myself out of it and turn it over to you, Mr. Marchese. All right, so this is a question that um, I actually took and I posed to my wife um, for another opinion on this, and and she chose Johnny actually. Um, just thanks, based, Jen. Yep, thank uh, thanks, Jen. Um, and the reason behind that is she goes, you, uh, she called me an old man. Um, I'm a few years older. older I'm, I'm a few years older than Johnny. Um, I don't know. I don't know she brought up the fact that if I go to the hard liquor, I'm done real quick, which is true. Um, I'm built on beer. So I think that, uh, that Steve needs to clarify what we're drinking and, and what the pace is, because I mean, like Ron said, if we're going Budweiser to Bush light or Bush lights all day, it kind of skews things a little bit. I'd probably give a slight edge to Johnny. I mean, Johnny and I are both, pretty well equipped i think to handle a good bender um i don't know it could end up that johnny and i tie i don't know how you guys feel about that but uh you know there's there's plenty of nights johnny where you and i are up at like 3 a.m still pounding beers talking about Mm -hmm. sports so yeah and i mean those are your average like wednesday nights yeah, Ron's, so, Ron's looking at us like, "What? What are you talking about?" But I mean, that's true. I mean, like, it could be a random Wednesday night, and it's three thirty in the morning, and 
I'm cracking a beer and, and Johnny's cracking a beer and we're still talking about shit. So, um, it's a really tough one. I don't know. I'd probably give the edge to Johnny in this just a little bit because I feel like he's more recently in college and can probably handle the 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 full marathon that I can. But uh, I, I definitely put myself in contention. That's what I got to say. Yeah, just, so the, the, this is a tough one. Um, I, I just wanted to say, first of all, I appreciate Jen for picking me, but um, that that kind of brings me, I was thinking of evidence based on this. So Tony on our like Bender nights, the one of the back in September that Cubs Sox night, you outlasted me. I mean, I know I also had to go and get back home, but still you were there at the bar for another, you know, I don't know how long you guys are still there, but you and Jen and uh, Jake stuck it out longer than me there. Whereas then this last most recent time you had left earlier. Um, and then Jake and, and I we, closed down the place. So. Right, and when we talk about earlier, we're talking it's already like one thirty-two in the morning versus yeah, I'm like just saying like earlier than four. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all I'm hearing. So I honestly, it's tough, but I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll go with Tony. If we're, uh, I'm thinking if this is like straight beer, because if you're thinking longevity here, like if you're trying to go all night, you're probably only doing beer because the shots would just go crazy. So I, I kind of agree with Tony's sentiment there. I know he picked me, but I'd probably pick Tony if we're going with that throw hard liquor in there then i probably handle it a little bit um a little bit better because i don't know that i took I, that more tasted delicious on friday I would, night i would <laughs> like to, to clarify on um the question you posed for our good friend steve of what we are drinking and at what pace because i am actually built on hard liquor fun fact Ooh. uh i can drink any vodka mixed drink for days um Beer is actually more of an enemy to me than hard liquor is, ironically. So um, in context, I think that's the case, because I think if we're going to hard liquor, I think I could I think I could at least compete. Them. So I, I think the final answer here is that there's a bender. Everyone could win. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I actually think that there agree? is. I agree. I Agreed. think if I think if we're drinking straight beer, I'm I'm in contention. I think if we're drinking straight liquor, I'm the first one out. And I think if we're mixing everything, Johnny's clearly the winner. So I think, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's so a that, very fair assessment. That's a good question, Steve. Um, and hopefully that clarifies it. But you know what? We should put this to the test one night. Um, hopefully you can be involved with that too. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last time. It's time to wrap it up, boys. Um, week ahead. Uh, tonight, Blackhawks are at Buffalo, 6 p.m. Uh, Saturday night. They're at Minnesota at 7 p.m. And then on Tuesday, they're at Edmonton, 8 p.m. So this is kind of a shitty travel week. Uh, Jonathan Taves made some comments about it, how, you know, the schedule maker kind of screws them. I think everybody gets screwed at some point during the year, but this is some pretty ridiculous travel. Um, you're going east coast to west coast within those, uh, that short amount of time, and that back-to-back Friday to Saturday from Buffalo. to It's not like they're just going Buffalo to, like, you know, down to the Rangers or something like that that's close. So, um what are we expecting from these games here? Um, I am actually very much looking forward to this evening's game against Buffalo. Um, for those that maybe aren't entirely sure, uh, one Buffalo native named Patrick Kane is one point shy of 900. Um, so how fitting would it be for him to get his 900th career point? I think he would only be like the 82nd player ever in NHL history to hit 900 points or something crazy like that I saw as a statistic. Um, 
how fitting it would be for him to hit it in Buffalo. Uh, and the rumor is this, his father will be in attendance for the game. So I think that would be pretty special and pretty cool. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah. I kind of echo that. Um, it's always good to see players play in their hometown, especially, you know, your guys like Patrick Kane. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Saturday at Minnesota. Um, I love beating up on Minnesota. And I think that, uh, if there's a game that I'd like to see them win out of these three, it's against the division rival. So um, I'm going to go Saturday at Minnesota. Um, the other one, obviously, at Edmonton. Um, you like getting to watch Connor McDavid, so um, that's another good game uh, to tune into. Uh, get to see uh, the roster that uh, Peter Chiarelli built, and uh, maybe we'll see Brandon Manning. Don't know, but uh, it's a possibility. Yeah, so... Um... I probably agree with Tony. I'm probably most looking forward to the Minnesota game. I also have uh, plans that Saturday night for that game, uh, getting a bunch of the old college buddies back together. Uh, we're all huge Hawks fans. Um, watched a bunch of uh, – we actually went to Game 7 down in St. Louis because we were in Champaign then, so it was a quicker drive down there. Um, so we're getting that crew back together, so it'll be a really fun one to watch on Saturday night. And I just love beating up on Minnesota, like Tony had mentioned. Um, there's a point to make for each of these games, though. Like Ron said, Patrick Kane back in Buffalo uh, hopefully gets his 900th point there. That would be sweet to see. But then Tuesday at Edmonton, you got uh, Drake Kajula playing against his former team. Um, he only has one assist since coming over from the Oilers to the Blackhawks. So he's uh, only got eight games under his belt here. But it'll be uh, interesting to see if his play level ramps up a little bit for that Edmonton game get up for that and then obviously we'll see uh old friend or foe whatever you want to call him brandon manning um so a little something to look forward to in each game here um but it's good guys i'm just glad hockey is finally back blackhawks hockey it was nice that there were nhl games earlier in the week but i was like I'm, i've just been dying for it i'm fiending for it oh yeah i was gonna say the same thing that uh i've, I've missed blackhawks hockey we've had quite the break from it um it feels like it's been ages since we've gotten to watch the Hawks, and uh, I'm just happy that they're back. I don't think I've ever been as excited to see a practice photo than when Eric Weir posted today. Um, he said, he said bye-bye, bye-week. <laughs> That's what the caption yeah, was. Yeah, right? And I was like, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. We're finally, finally back. Um, so enjoy, uh, you know, back-to-back. So we get we get – jam-packed action right away and then uh tuesday at edmonton that uh you know that building's tough to win in so that that's uh even if the oilers aren't what they were when they made the playoffs a couple of years ago uh it's still Connor mcdavid um it's still leon dry so um a lot of fun stuff to watch this week uh with all that being said that'll do it for episode 18 of the four feathers podcast thank you for tuning in and as always go blackhawks let's go hawks Let's go Hawks.